Hello, friends and damn givers. I'm Nick LaPara, and welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. This is the show you listen to when you want to hear from people who are giving a damn and making our world a much better place in so many unique and meaningful ways. Thank you for hitting play. Thank you for showing up this week. And most of all, thank you for joining me and us on this journey toward leaving the planet much better than we found it. For those that celebrate, I hope your Thanksgiving holiday was restful, peaceful, and relatively drama-free. We drove back from our Thanksgiving holiday yesterday, and that was a mistake. How come none of y'all told me that the Sunday after Thanksgiving is a terrible day to drive? Our eight-hour and 15-minute drive turned into an 11-hour-plus drive because of holiday traffic and heavy rain for seven or eight of those hours. And when I say heavy, I mean heavy. There were two or three hours where I literally couldn't see, you know, 30, 40 feet in front of me, heavy rain, fog, could barely see the lights of the car in front of me. It was pretty dicey there for a bit. So we finally made it back after 11 and a half hours, dropped the family off at our apartment here in Manhattan, and then had to return the car. It wasn't over for me had to return the car that we rented. So I drove over to New Jersey, dropped off the car, and then it took an hour plus to get back to our place via bus and train. Hell of a day. I'm so glad to be home for the holidays. I don't plan to leave for the rest of the year. So excited to be back. Friends, you're in for a treat this week. Tom Fishman, the CEO of Starts With Us, is on the podcast today. I met Tom on Zoom a couple of weeks ago uh, before we recorded this conversation live in New York when he was here for some meetings. And I knew almost instantly on the Zoom that I liked Tom and wanted to talk with him about lots of things. He has this really good vibe, really kind, wise energy about him. And I trust that will come across in this conversation. So, what is Starts With Us? In the simplest terms, Starts With Us is a bridge-building organization. And right away, if I'm being very honest, that gives me pause. I don't like too many of the bridge-building organizations out there. Some of the reasons why come up in this conversation, so I won't spoil it for you right now. I'm not saying that bridge-building isn't important. Even though I haven't found many organizations that do bridge-building well, I still think it's important. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you've probably heard me say these words, fewer walls, longer bridges, bigger tables, over and over and over again. So I do think it's important. I just don't think many organizations do it well. And that brings me back to Starts With Us. They aim to habituate curiosity, compassion, and courage in order to foster independent thinking and constructive communication across our differences. And they do a damn good job at it. Uh, I have really enjoyed their social media content, and I love their three pillars and the three C's, both of which you'll learn about in just a few minutes. And they've put together quite the group of founding partners, really fantastic people. These are leaders of all shapes and sizes and all political persuasions that have come together to declare that Starts With Us is on to something, and we need to get much better about how we reach out in spite of our differences. Some of these founding partners include Alan Alda, 
Chef Jose Andres, Arthur Brooks, Barbara Corcoran, Ryan Holiday, Mark Cuban, Adam Grant, Alice Marie Johnson, Bernice King, the founder of Kind Snacks and the founder of Starts With Us, Daniel Lubetsky, Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, and over a hundred others. Listen, if you have had trouble over this Thanksgiving holiday relationship-wise because of political differences or other kinds of differences, and you're already thinking, how the hell am I going to get through Christmas if that's how your Thanksgiving went? And if you're already thinking about Christmas, then this conversation is for you. And if you have the perfect family and friends and you didn't feel any tension over the holidays, please tell me your secret. And this conversation is still for you because you interact with people at work and on the street and at your kid's school. I could go on and on and on. This conversation is for each and every one of us. And I found it so deeply helpful. Before we get into this conversation, a quick reminder, as always, that you can email me anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. Tell me how great or terribly your Thanksgiving break was. You can ask questions, recommend future guests. Tell me how much you love or hate the show. Anything really, I just love hearing from you. And now, without further ado, let's get right into my conversation with Tom Fishman. Let's go. Tom Fishman, welcome to the Let's Give a Damn podcast. Wow, is that how you do it? You just like get right in like that? Right into it. I am so pumped to be here with you. Thanks for having me. We've, uh, you're welcome. And uh, I've been looking forward to this ever since I heard about Starts With Us uh, probably a year ago. Hmm. I didn't know you at that point. I didn't know that you were the CEO overseeing all of this, but I met Sarah who's sitting over there a few months ago with Jason and other one of y'all's colleagues, yeah, and very interested in what you all are trying to do, hoping to do, and it yeah. seems like doing. And so I'm really excited for this conversation. I think it'll be helpful, even in light of what just happened last week yes. in our political sphere, Yeah, how we move forward. Um, we have an interesting two years ahead of us, politically speaking, among other things, uh, certain someone announced their running last night. And yeah, just a lot going on. We all need to figure out how to have better conversations with more people so we can figure shit out, right? And and get better at relating to people, more people, expand that circle, make the table bigger without compromising who we are. So That's all right. that to say, so excited. Before we get into, this is going to get, I, I think parts of this conversation will be not heavy and intense, but we're talking about big things. We're talking about relationships, people that we love that are close to us. We don't understand how to deal with them. And so it will get, I think, a little intense at times. Before we get there, though, let's start out light because I want to get to know you. Yeah. Part, part of what we do here on the show is it's not just about the project or the company or the organization. It's about you. Like for me to understand how life brought you to this place where you are the CEO, you're in charge of Starts With Us, this organization that is doing so much, so many incredible things. Life brought you here for some reason through a variety of circumstances. So tell us that story. I know that before the mics came on, you said life started around here for you. You don't live here in New York anymore, but it started here. So give us that story, the who, what, when, where, and why of Tom Fishman's life. Who are the 
people that influenced you, the things that influenced you. Give us some of that story before we dive into the bigger stuff here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nick, firstly, uh, just thank you again for having me on. I'm, uh, I'm such a fan and it means a lot to me to be able to share a little bit of my story and, and certainly about uh, Starts With Us uh, with you and um, and with your listeners. Uh, we we sit here in New York City. I'm a, I'm a Queens kid. So I grew up in a small town in the working class town in the north of Queens called College Point, which uh, is the last stop on the seven train and then a bus. Um Q25 or the Q20 for my Queens kids, my College Point kids out there. <laughs> and yeah, I um, I had a, sort of a colorful childhood. My parents were uh, both kind of free spirit hippies uh, in many senses of the word. I, I They split up when I was fairly young. I have a, a younger brother as, as well. My parents split up, uh, unfortunately, because my mom and that side of the family um, have and, and continue to suffer from addiction, uh, many of the things that uh, certainly mm-hmm. plague a lot of our communities and and frankly cause, I think, a lot of the unrest and division we see. We can t- touch uh, more on that later in terms of how opiates are affecting communities. But um, yeah, that that hit my mom's side of my family really early on. So my brother and I uh, grew up in a single parent household with our dad. So it was a little bit of a frat house vibe, the three boys, like kind of making it happen. And um I'd say solidly a working class background, which also leaves an imprint on you, uh, or certainly did on me. Uh, you know, we didn't uh, we didn't grow up wanting for anything, but I fairly quickly, and especially as I got into high school, and was lucky to get um, uh, get a scholarship to a to a, a good um, private high school in uh, in Queens. Um, realized my place in the world, I think, financially and economically, and I think that uh, you know, understanding divides. Broadly speaking, that's an economic divide and in some ways a cultural divide. Sure. was really interesting to me early on. I mean, I grew up in a town that has a uh, college point primarily settled by a lot of Irish and Italian immigrant families. And those working class families, you know, have, you know, uh, and, and uh, um, ethnicities have really kind of storied histories. And, and it was sort of at a time when Asian families were moving in and Mexican families were moving in. So there was a lot of, uh, I think, early uh, kind of, uh, you know, skepticism and suspicion of the families that were moving in. And I, as a kid of, you know, sort of a, um, a mixed, uh, a Jewish and Christian sort of, I, I always kind of felt, um, like somebody whose superpowers on my best day, even as a kid, were kind of surfing those divides and getting along kind of with everybody. It was not only something that, um, I think that maybe I had a little bit of a natural, um, inclination towards in that I'm, curious about people and I like to talk to people and, uh, you know, I can be amiable on my best days, but also there's just a survival instinct there. You know, it's like a yep. diminutive yep. kid on the schoolyard trying not to get your ass kicked. You got to know how to talk some game and how to talk your way out of situations. And I think that's a thing that <laughs> a lot of Queens kids learn kind of early, but that, I, that I especially did. So that, that, you know, sort of the beginning is, um, you know, my, in my own sort of way, uh, my, my life touched by some, you know, some challenges and some, some adversity, you know, relatively speaking. And I also, um, you know, was able to kind of live a version or, or I'm in the process of doing my best to live a version of an American dream that feels like for a mm. lot of people is out of reach or, cont- or is dying in the sense that I, you know, I've had the good fortune to be able to m- kind of move around in my career and make some advancements and have people look out for me and take care of me. And, um, uh, on, on, on the way, uh, you know, th- through, uh, you know, coming up at, uh, in, as a primordial 
digital media guy. I crawled out of the uh, of the early ooze of social media and then sort of you know rose the ranks at MTV to lead teams there. So I think a lot of those opportunities that you know came my way probably combination of yeah maybe some of the you know, working between people and departments and some of the skills that I had and overcoming some of that adversity, but also some of the privilege that I have certainly in my life based on who I am and, uh, and how I look. So yeah, it's a, I guess a meandering way of saying like, I, I, you know, kind of came out, came out of the city. I, um, worked my way through high school. I went to the university of Chicago, which, um, as kind of a, you know, an unmotivated student who maybe had a little bit of talent, just kicked my ass right into shape. So shout out to my fellow Maroons as well. And uh, yeah, and there, I found my way into media in the, in the early days. Again, as kind of a curious person who liked the intersection of data and people and creative and algorithms and sort of being a left brain, right brain guy for a long time. It was uh, digital media gave me a way to kind of have it all in my professional life. And um, I came up in a, as social media went from being kind of a, like I, I say often that I remember distinctly a time when it was fun. Like I, I remember it. It wasn't that long ago. Um, but I watched it become kind of professionalized and moneyballified in the sense of being, you know, of right. multivariate testing of headlines and seeing how that flowed into ultimately, you know, sort of disinformation and sort of the thing, you know, clickbait. And I, I kind of watched all that unfold in a in a with a front row seat. You know, watched social media bloom into something that has both great power and potential and also great um, great risk and a great possibility for harm and for for adversity. So that certainly has influenced me a lot. And again, maybe in summary, you know, curious kid, uh, motivated, you know, in some ways to achieve and to kind of, um, you know, indulge the chip on my shoulder of growing up feeling, you know, like I didn't have quite as much as the kids in my, (laughs) in my high school. And, um, that, that drove me in a lot of ways to, uh, yeah, to try to be an achiever and to figure out how I could make my mark. And, that curiosity of being left brain, right brain, being interested in a lot of different things led me into media and tech. And I now find myself in a media and tech driven enterprise, but trying to harness those forces uh, to undo some of the damage that maybe left unchecked they've wrought on our communities and on society. Fascinating. Uh, so much I would like to address there, but yeah. I want to focus on what you just said. There was a time when social media was fun, when it was more innocent in yeah. nature when things weren't so calculated. Right. I mean, Twitter used to be where, I mean, at the very beginning, I remember that's where I would, if I was going out to eat with you, I would take a picture of what I was eating, yeah. say that I was with you. And that was really the extent of it. I'm here, I'm there. This is what I'm doing. How's your day? Whatever. And now, um, yeah, nowadays, not just on Twitter, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and otherwise, an entire uh, election cycle. Right. I mean, we're talking about humongous um, damage was done on these platforms that once were for sharing, hey, my burger is really good. Yeah. And now you're with this uh, organization that we're going to spend a good chunk of our time talking about that is centered on technology and, and media and what's happening in culture, trying to, as you said, to undo some of the really horrific things that have happened over the past few years on social media, and not just social media, on the internet in general, in, in the media, in technology, but so much of it is happening on social media. Yeah. How did you 
go from, you talked about MTV and other platforms that you were part of, companies that you were part of. How did you go from those to starts with us? Yeah. So, and I'll flush that out a little bit more. So I was at MTV, um, you know, kind of on a, at a Lega, legacy media company that um, had this very well-known brand, but was maybe struggling to sure. advance itself into these new spaces. So that was its own kind of lesson. But then I was actually at Facebook after that. So I left MTV and worked for at Facebook for a couple of years on an original content team uh, who worked on shows like Red Table Talk with, uh, with Jada Pinkett Smith, for example. And then after that was at um, an inter- sort of an interactive video, a tech startup called Echo. So I had had, you know, a, a, a before joining starts with us, a, a pretty long career, uh, at the intersection of media and tech and culture. And uh, later on in sort of product development and e-commerce was sort of my boot camp, and, you know, in product and tech. And, you know, I don't know how else to say it. It feels a, almost a little too pat or, or maybe even a little cheesy, but looking out the window and experiencing what we have all experienced in um, the extremely disturbing and unsettling divisiveness that always feels like it's sort of teetering on the edge of political violence. And in many cases now has crossed over, um, many instances crossed over that line. Um, And where I was in my own life, a combination of just selfishly, like in my, from a career sense, it was like, you know, it was kind of, you're starting to think like, what am I going to do? Like, what are the next challenges that, that maybe get me excited? And also, you know, as a father, uh, you know, mm. having, having those taking stock moments of like, what kind of world are we leaving our kids? And I've picked up, you know, a little bit of skill in these dark arts of kind of media and technology and growing audiences and developing content, like for platforms that bring communities together. And, um, you know, generally hadn't used them to any nefarious purposes, but ultimately had been a participant enough of a, you know, professional participant in these platforms to know enough to be dangerous and start to think like, maybe I can start to put my, uh, my, uh, powers towards the forces of good. And you know, any, any job you have, you know, something you have these days where you're, you know, you have a bad day and you're like, ah, I'm going to, I'm going to go look and see what's out there. You sort of Google around and say, like, see what's out there. Indulge your little like fantasizing about like, you know, maybe the grass is always greener. You know, you do that thing, which by the way is, you know, certainly, certainly not always true, but, uh, you know, in, in, uh, if I'd have those moments, you know, I mean, take a peek out, out in the world. I wasn't looking at new jobs at, you know, Peacock or Hulu or Netflix or um, Snapchat or, you know, not that those places were, you know, uh, beating down my door at the time, but those might have been the n- next obvious places for me to Very look. Very natural. Yeah. Yep. And I wasn't. I was. I found myself kind of looking at ACLU and Southern Poverty Law Center and NRDC, uh, National Resources Defense Co- Council, and some of these other things. And, and by the way, this wasn't like an accident. We had come off of the summer of, you know, uh, 2020, George Floyd was murdered. And, there, you know, there uh, amongst many other um, sort of coinciding. You're one of many people that during the pan in the middle of a pandemic, we don't know what the hell's going on. This man is brutally lynched right in front of us on TV. There was a lot of people reconsidering yeah. what they were doing with their lives. That's right. That's right. And I, and I and and uh, I think that you know again I I maybe I'm a little sheepish by whether or not that's cliche, but I I probably shouldn't be. I think it was just one of those taking stock moments that absolutely um, put me on a track mentally uh, to think you know how can I reconsider you know what my next challenges are in the context of using my skills for the forces of good. And it was sort of serendipity. I, I don't know if I manifested it or if it was the secret or something, but I heard from Starts With Us as they were looking for a leader who kind of had 
my background. And that, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, starts with us, you know, was founded by a guy named Daniel Lubetsky, uh, who is best known for founding uh, Kind Snacks and Kind Bars, if you know those. And he's on Shark Tank, Shark Tank sometimes, people know from that. And Daniel's been doing bridge building work well predating Kind, um, starting in the Middle East, you know, three decades ago. And as an entrepreneur and as a thinker and as, uh, you know, as a CEO, what I've come to understand about Daniel, learn about him and working closely with him and, you know, studying how he managed Kind on the way up, he's just a very narrative and, and uh, kind of hearts and minds oriented entrepreneur and believes so deeply in the power of storytelling uh, to create opportunity, both in his for-profit and nonprofit work. So as he and the initial founding partners of Starts With Us and some of the, you know, even before it was called Starts With Us, as they were starting to gather around this divisiveness, this polarization, this dehumanization problem, by the way, um, can't decouple it from the fact that Daniel's father is a Holocaust survivor, mm-hmm. survived the camps at Dachau. Um, so the imprint of, you know, the very darkest outcomes of uh, dehumanization loom quite large in his family. So as anyway, as he and the early founding partners were thinking about Starts With Us, I think it was always, you know, front of mind for him that the next, um, uh, you know, surfaces, the next fronts in pushing back against these forces are in are in storytelling and narrative and viral spaces and in, in the places and, and you can and you know that's you look out the window and you see the way in which the media ecosystem sets the tone and the temperature for almost our national mood you know what i mean in a way that probably is quite unhealthy yep. Yep. um and and should be uh examined and and uh and reconsidered but for right now you know daniel you know two things that are very important to daniel and now that pervade the way we think about starts with us are one that storytelling and community are an incredibly powerful and potent way to scale, not just build, but scale a movement. Um, and two, that as individuals, we are incredibly powerful agents of the, of our own destiny. And, uh, in, in sort of realizing that the destiny of our communities and our society, it's a big part of our theory of change is that in practicing what we affectionately call the three C's, curiosity, compassion, and courage. And in doing that in moments when it's uncomfortable, in particular with people who you don't, not only you disagree with, but they're, um, you know, uh, their opinions are, are off-putting or yep. offensive to yep. you, potentially even harmful. Um, that staying at the table, if and when you have the capacity to do so, uh, it can be transformative to both people involved and it creates a permission and it creates um, an opportunity and it creates a, a scenario where our guards are let down and we can realize something as self-actualizing, I think both participants in the conversation. So that basically is um, how I draw the line is I was a media and tech and scale and community guy. And this was a big part of the early vision for how Starts With Us would add something very differentiated to the bridge building space was we're going to take an air game approach. We're going to think scale. We're going to think storytelling. We're going to use tech to um, build communities, uh, but around a different kind of a sense of um, a diff- different set of values, create a, a, a tribe for people, frankly, who feel quite tribeless right now. I love it. Before I move forward, I need two dates just so I can frame up where we are. One is, so remind me when you started at Starts With Us. I started- A couple of years ago? Uh, I, I just passed my year anniversary. Okay. So a year started September 20th. 
Congrats. Last year, thanks. Yep. So 13, 4, oh, come, come out of on 14 months. Yeah. And when did Starts With Us start? Starts With Us launched December 8th after, so a couple months after I started. Okay. Yeah. So every, everybody's very young here. This this yeah. organization is is young, still trying to figure it out. It feels a lot older. On the outside looking in, it feels a lot older than it is. And I think, well, A, that's congrats to you all. Thank you. Because it doesn't look... Not that you all aren't going through your baby growing pains, but, and I think that's probably a testament to you and Daniel and the kinds of people you've brought in that give it a sense of not necessarily longevity, but maturity. Like it seems like a mature idea. These are tried and true bridge building techniques. And one of the things I want to do today is not because I don't believe in it. But I want to push back. Sure. I want to. I want to see if this bridge building thing holds up. Yeah. Because half the time it makes sense to me. Yeah. Half the time it makes total sense that we would try to build bridges and make the table bigger for as many people and ideas as possible. Yeah. And then other times, when when kind of the injustice feels overwhelming yeah, and when uh, it feels like evil people and evil ideas are winning, then I just want to burn the whole thing down yeah, and get as far away from that as possible and say, yesterday I thought you were redeemable. Now I don't. Like, I don't think you're redeemable because you said X or you did this. Like, there are just certain, there, there are just certain things that happen where I'm just like, you keep you keep on proving me right that you can't be moved from your position, right? Yeah. There's just a lot of this happening. The Ben Shapiro's of the world, the Matt Walsh's of the world, like these people that I, I want to believe the best about them. They have their very conservative right-wing ideas. And then I hear them on a podcast. And I'm like, oh, they did really well on that podcast. It seems like maybe they can be worked with. Yeah. And then they post about how, you know, they post some crazy anti-trans thing. And I'm just like, did you learn anything? Like, what is going on? Can you be reasoned with, right? So I want to, I'm convinced that starts with us is onto something. I'm convinced that it works. And yet half the time, because I'm a lot of things, yeah. I'm all kinds of things. I'm good and I'm bad and I'm everything in between. Half the time I'm like, no, I don't think, I. even though I know it works, I'm not willing to do that work because I've got better things to do than to try to reason with yeah. And spend time trying to convince bad people to inch closer this way. So all that to say, that's where I am coming from yeah. tonight. I appreciate that. There's firstly, so so uh there's so much there. I'm very pumped by that. Uh please um push away. Yeah. And I'll tell you right at the outset, um, I may have the same questions you have. Yeah. We at Starts With Us are not like a group of enlightened elders who have the answers or have right. uncovered some like Rosetta Stone. We have a theory of change that we continue to try to evolve and see work, um, and I think we're very aware that um, that that uh, we're we're unlikely to have some instant gratification. And That's it. I, I think that that um, there's so much that you said. Firstly, uh, thank you for saying what you did about our organization. There, uh, the tip of the iceberg is what you see. So I have to give credit that Daniel and a handful of people were sure. thinking about what we were doing. Um, for, for a while before I arrived, but I also want to credit my team and that anything that looks like polish or maturity 
is from a group of unbelievably dedicated um, and passionate and uh, curious and compassionate and courageous on our best days of people trying to turn that kernel of a theory into a coherent editorial strategy, into a coherent fan engagement strategy. I mean, we are still in some ways beholden to the rule, rules of social media as we as that's one of our first go-to-market sort of, you know, opportunities for storytelling to really reach a lot of people. So um, anyway, long way of saying thank you. You said so much there that I find interesting. So I want to point out maybe a couple pieces of it yeah, and then sure. have you lead me where you want to push yeah. back. Firstly, I would say one of the things and one of the tips that a lot of our content and the nudges that we put out into the world often espouse is to understand and, and really recognize with intentionality what you're hoping to get out of a conversation. Mm, mm. And inching people towards either your point of view uh, is something that you can bring in if you want to have a hearty debate with somebody and see if maybe you can change their thinking or open their mind to why you think the way you do and why that's different than what, you know, what they may think. Changing people's minds is almost always uh, sort of folly for one conversation. And right. I think in having a debate or a discussion or a, a tough talk or a contentious conversation, I'm just going to keep branding them unless you stop me. Yeah, um, go for it. Right? With somebody where you disagree in a really passionate way, but stay at the table with good faith, and that is the key because – one of the many things social media does is sort of flatten out and habituate us away from good faith. It's much easier to have the asynchronous clapback contest than it is to really indulge, like take the most charitable view of somebody else's argument 100%. and their position and try to understand, you know, try to hold, you know, we, we are in a world where we rightly have started to understand and focus on impact as much as, if not more than intent. I wonder sometimes have we gone too far because someone's intent does matter, even if, you know, and I think that those, you know, so you try to understand someone else's intention. It's not all about changing a mind. Sometimes it's about expanding a perspective. Even if you walk away and never talk again, I would argue, and I think we had searched for this, we argue, you both have gained something really valuable. We saw this, let me, let me let, make this concrete. When the, uh, what became the Dobbs v. Jackson uh, ruling was merely, a, you know, a leaked opinion. Um, you know, there's uh, protests, uh, and counter protests in DC. It was early on in our organization, and we didn't know exactly what our editorial uh, angle was going to be in getting down there, but it seemed to be rife with sort of contentious conversations and people across lines of difference. And we said, you know what? We're going to get down there and see what's going on. So, Amelia Dantrone, our head of content, personally went down there with a crew. And we were, I'll send you the videos and encourage folks if you're interested to go check them out. Yeah, They're, yeah, please. Know, all our I'll, socials and yep. things. But, um, we had individual interviews with people, uh, you know, kind of, and when you go into a protest and a counter protest, these are generally going to be the very most passionate people about either one of those, you know, uh, either side. And I was really heartened by what came out of it because it was from a, from the perspective of trying to land some pat lesson about like you're a rainbow and here's the right way to behave. It was none of that. It was a mess in the best, most human possible way. You just saw a bunch of individuals um, talking about who they are, what they believe and why they believe it. And then several instances of people 
getting close to each other and the sort of icky, almost squirmy, like they're doing their best to talk and it's kind of, they're trying to be friendly and it's just the most human, awkward, but relatable thing of like, we're, we're, when confronted with each other, when not sitting amongst people on our own team and waving the flag of the correct opinion, whatever our team thinks it is, when you're actually face-to-face with people, the humanity is undeniable. And we had many pro-life people uh, talking about their opinions who may or may not be what you would imagine a pro-life person to be and to, and talk about why they believe what they believe in a way that emphasizes, even if you disagree very passionately, which I may or you may or, or any of us may, this is a person who is complex. This is not a flattened idiot or an unthinking, you know, it's like this is a person who arrived with the same set of facts maybe that I have at a very different belief. And that is a humanizing thought. That is, and and even if I may not, uh, not agree with any particular person on their view on that issue or on other issues, I can work together with a human on other things that we need to work on, yeah. like filling potholes in the street or making sure the earth doesn't heat up another seven degrees or whatever it is. Like there's many challenges that we have to work on. And looking at somebody on the other side of a viscerally divisive issue and seeing them as a human being is a great way to be able to cooperate with them on other things at minimum. And that's a that's a really extreme example. You know what I mean? It's a really sort of divisive example. So I don't know that anybody changed their minds, either having seen our video or having participated and been on camera in our video. But staying at the table to sit there in the humanity of somebody who it would be so much easier to just dehumanize and think of as an abstraction um, is incredibly powerful. And we, we saw it have sort of really profound and transformative effects in person in that moment. Um, just last night, we hosted on a Zoom, a public Zoom called Hold America Together in partnership with a couple other great organizations in the space, uh, Braver Angels and Bridge USA, and brought people together across lines of difference, did breakout rooms. And when I describe it, you might think of like, wow, that sounds like kind of weird and maybe it's uncomfortable. And it's just, these are people who are showed up, hundreds of people, to sit in the presence of people who disagree probably on many issues, but fundamentally think like, where we're going is not right. We're not going to realize the potential of ourselves or our communities or our nation by continuing to do what we're doing in social media and mainstream media and cable news and, you know, social platforms and beyond. And watching that unfold gives you and gives me a lot of hope. You know, we have a data point. It starts with us that 87% of people are exhausted and fed up with political divisiveness. And you can say like, so, so I think, I think the other 13 yeah. are lying. Right. Yeah, exactly. hundred percent of yeah, people yeah, yeah. Are, who, are, who isn't are fed up. fed up with it. Well, I wonder, but that begs a good question yeah. is we are, I, you described, you know, first of all, you described your own kind of internal, um, multiplicity of like, some days I'm good and some days I'm bad and some days I'm up and some days I'm down. Some days I'm like, let's bridge away. And some days I'm like, burn it all down. Everybody is like that. Yep. That's the humanity of everybody is good days and bad days. But the the human experience, the subjective and multifaceted and nuanced flesh and blood human experience in these digital platforms and in the way we consume media broadly is flattened. It's completely flattened. So on any given day, you're as good as your clapbacks and your talking points and your willingness to, you know, it, and I don't know. I, th- I think that at our core, 
there's a strong desire for a different kind of an existence than the one that we all feel in a way that cuts across demographic, psychographic, economic lines, which is that this is just fundamentally like kind of slow tortures and being in this environment of just utter disdain Mm. all the time. And that when, and and by the way, I, I feel this too. I feel this as much as anybody, something, you know, a Supreme court ruling happens or something happens out in the world. My gut reaction, both in my personal life and it starts with us often in ways that are not right for starts with us. And the team and I have to think like, Hey, this is not right for us is to immediately, what's our response to this? What flag do we wave to signal that we support the the correct opinion here? And that is a habit. That is something that is habituated, is that I have to respond, like we have to get into the mix, that making noise is somehow making progress. And sometimes it is, you know what I mean? We don't want to wipe away the things that are good about social, like a lot, you know, a lot of movements utilize social in a really positive way, and we hope to do the same. But the key thing here is what are our habits? What do we do reflexively? And our strategy to achieve, we talk about our mission as we want to build a scaled movement that empowers Americans to overcome extreme political and cultural divisiveness. We want to do that by fostering a more independent thinking from blind kind of tribal loyalty to a party or otherwise. Freer expression that includes the ability to step in shit and be forgiven if you don't sort of say the right thing or you don't get it. There's assumption of good intention and you know a lot built into that. And ultimately, just much more constructive and cooperative dialogue across lines of difference so that we can solve the problems that press so many of us at once. And the strategy to achieve that is not just to build a scaled movement with storytelling, but to use media and tech to habituate the daily practice of those three C's, curiosity, Mm. compassion, and courage. We need an antidote to the habits so many of us, again, myself foremost among them. I see somebody, you know, who has, you know, an opinion on any, any old thing that I disagree with in my, uh, Instagram feed or my TikTok feed, and you can just feel it. It's like, oh, you're uh, you're not a good person, and you're not educated in the right ways. You're not reading the right news, and you're a sheep, and you're whatever. And it's like, that's not how I want to regard people. That's not the right way to. Uh, it's not a healthy way to regard people because of a singular. And granted, the signal is a signal, but it's just we are flattened into these tribes in a way that um, is fundamentally unhelpful and uh, will not allow us to flourish as individuals or as a society. I love how you talked about these habits that we have, right? And it really is that. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it, it truly is. We, it, It's like some days we, and these days are more often now because there are so many things happening societally, culturally, politically. We're just waiting around for the next shit to happen yeah, so that we can be the first ones to react to it, to get our opinion out there, right? Really, like, you know, I know that there were people, I know, I personally know them. I wasn't one of them because my wonderful life partner, Rebecca, last night was like, you're not gonna watch Trump announce that he's running for president, right? And I was like, no, I'm not going to. Like, I'm gonna, that is something that's good for me. I'm not going to watch him do that because I will, that'll be me right there at the keyboard. But I know people that are in the media, that are in that they were just waiting for it to happen so they could live tweet through it and be the first one to it to get the most likes and clicks and retweets. And that's right. It's this machine that we're feeding. That's right. And we have to being compassionate and courageous and empathetic. That's not as loud. No, it's not as attractive. Let me tell you when we were early on, it starts with us. When we started to, uh, pitch to media that we were launching this 
um, we're launching a new nonprofit. It was taking this differentiated approach uh, to bridge building, built on media and tech. We had Dan Lubetsky, a bunch of founding partners, really interesting sort of story. We heard from, uh, I won't name them, but a, a broadcast show that millions of people watch that empathy doesn't sell. No. And, like, yeah. and so of course that is not surprising, but to hear that explicitly from somebody in the media, you know, we are pushing a very steep, uh, sorry, a very heavy rock up a very steep hill and trying to get this story told. But therein lies the opportunity is how do we make it interesting? Because the stories of connection across lines of difference, the things that people uh, do to overcome, the things that people do to move away from extremism, I believe and I think starts with us fundamentally takes as a belief that those stories, um, that there's a market for them and we want to turn that market into a movement. And we can elevate those stories that are untold because they're not – they don't feed that beast. The algorithms and the economic incentives across social or cable news aren't there. Uh, we're going to try to tell them and we're going to try to get them in front of people because we believe it's uh, it's what people really want. And we want to give that market the language and the uh, uh, the momentum to become a movement. And we'll, it'll, it's sometime in the next two days, we'll cross a million followers across all social. Amazing. Right? And that's... Um, a part of me and, and your kind about, uh, you know, I, th I still think, you know, we're in the excruciating phase of like figuring out who we are and what we want to say and how we want to say it live in front of, you know, in, in front of all kinds of uh, people and our partners and our community. But so I think we have a, a long way to go and a long way to grow. I think what we continue to prove out is that there is a hunger for a different path forward and for the stories that highlight and model the ways in which we can carve that path together. Um, so that's, yeah, we're, we're in the business of trying to stand against that, swim upstream against that current. So let me present to you a few different perspectives on that I've encountered even in the past few weeks. You listened to one of the podcasts with a gentleman named Russell, yeah. known online as Jolly Good Ginger. Uh, huge platform on TikTok, 1.6 million, a few hundred thousand on the other platforms. And and then I and then a few weeks ago, two weeks before that, I interviewed Anand Girdardas, uh, author of Winners Take All and yeah. the brand new book, The Persuaders. And so I've been I've been kind of thinking through these different approaches and 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 I, the whole entire time I'm looking forward to our conversation, uh, yet another approach for how we, you know. How we bring people in. Yeah. How we discuss these huge issues. How we discuss good, bad, and evil happening in the world and how we overcome these things. So if I could summarize how Jolly Good Ginger takes care of things. Yeah. You know, he said, you know, he, uh, Russell grew up a racist and a bigot because his parents are racist and bigots. So he grew up as a, as a redheaded kid uh, from, from West North Carolina, he started, he, he was a kid saying the N word left and right. You know, that's just what he grew up in. And then his mom, uh, who was a racist and a bigot got divorced from his dad. And two years later, she marries a black man and has three kids with him. So she went through a transformation and, uh, then he goes to visit his mom and her new husband and the kids and is saying the N word around them. Uh, you're an N-word lover, this, that, and the other. So this is how he grew up, right? Very, very racist and bigoted. And now, like, what he told me was, 
I'm so glad they people weren't nice to me. They called me out mm. on my racism and my bigotry. Yeah. They they didn't try to calmly move me away from it. They told me a thousand times, you're a racist and a bigot. Stop it. Yeah. And eventually he it, it it snapped and he changed slowly but surely. And now he's you know fighting against that and encouraging white people to stop. Uh, engaging in white silence and to stand up and to oppose racism and all forms of bigotry, right? So he, 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 he has said like, hey, there's people in my life, including my family, that I just, they're lost causes. I don't even deal with them, right? Like they're gone. I don't deal with them. In his perspective, he says, I will tell you exactly what you're doing wrong in very strong terms. And if you come back, then I know you really want to work on yourself. And if you left and if you don't come back, okay, so that's one perspective, right? We get that. The very like yeah. big, loud, sort of harsh. Calling you out. It. No, Calling you yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. And then you have Anand, who's, you know, a very well-spoken writer, thinker, author, speaker. And he wrote The Persuaders. And The Persuaders is not, in fact, you know, it's funny you mentioned Braver Angels. He 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 explicitly says, I'm not, I'm not advocating for Braver Angels type bridge yeah. building. Yeah, he yeah. says, I think, I think, Anger is fine. I think division is fine. Yeah. There are certain things that we can't and shouldn't stand up with. He says, you go to marriage uh, counseling, and the marriage counselor, if they're good, they will say, fight with your partner. Yes. Like, fight with them. That's healthy. Get it out. It's healthy. Yeah. He says, but the moment, he says, the beginning to the end of your marriage is when you have contempt right. for that person. Anger, fine. Division, fine. Yell a little bit even. But if you have contempt for your partner, it's almost a done deal. Like your marriage is over. Yeah. And he said, that's what I'm advocating for. As we try to persuade those around us, be angry. There should be dividing lines around certain issues and certain things. But don't you dare have contempt for them. Don't you dare dehumanize them. Don't you dare think of them as less than you. Yeah. Right? And so, and then, so where does... Where does, and I, and I want to get into, you know, the three C's and other things that make starts with us, starts with us. Yeah. Because where do you see, I, I when Russell says that, I'm like, oh yeah, I get it, dude. Like, I want to tell Ben Shapiro to fuck all the way off when he's talking about trans people the way that he does and queer people and anybody that he doesn't like. Yeah. As he just talks endlessly on his mic and his, on his podcast, right? Yeah. And I want to. I want to tell him to fuck all the way off over and over again until he gets it, that he's being more harmful than good, right? So when I hear Russell, and then I hear, and I, I don't think that I dehumanize Ben, but I'm pretty close because I'm like, how how could you hate so many different kinds of people so much? Like, doesn't that destroy you? Like every day waking up and just getting onto a mic and just like hating all kinds of people and all kinds of ideas, right? Anybody you don't like, whether it's Disney or politicians or trans people, well, the broader like uh, entrepreneurship of divisiveness is that's a it's a whole it's a business. It is a business. Yeah. You're you're 100 right. And so many of them, the Crowders and the Shapiros and the Walshes and the Trumps and like there's a there's a lot of people that have made a lot of money in the division business, right? But in and so then I so yeah, Russell, I'm like I'm like pumping my fists in the air. Yes, I get it. Yeah. And then a more calculated version of that with Anand. And I'm like, oh yeah, that sounds like, that's really good. That makes sense. Like anger, division, fine, but stay the hell away from contempt. Like all people have dignity. All people are complex. 
so many stories, so many backgrounds, so much hurt, so much pain. Yeah. Where does it start with us fit in all of this? Because I think it's important. I, I do think I don't want to, even as I look at starts with us and I'm like not in my head the whole, I mean, you know, reading the website, listening to you, I'm like, yes, 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 yes. I do think there is a too far yeah. on the other side of the spectrum where it's like, mm. you know, I'm not saying you, you y'all advocate for this, but like, I want to stay also the hell away from the like kumbaya singing yes. circle. Like let's get, you know, yeah. let's hold hands with <clears throat> racists and bigots and transphobic people and all like, no, I don't, I, I don't because you've hurt my friends. Like yeah. you've hurt my people. You've hurt my neighbors. You've hurt my whatever. And I don't want to yeah. kumbaya with you, you know? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. so where does starts with us come in and say, we have, I think a solution here. Yeah. So I would start by saying, uh, I'm going to stop short by, uh, of saying that we have a solution. I think we have a process and I think we have an approach. Fair enough. And, yeah. and I think that um, it's one we believe in. And it sounds like it's more aligned to what Anand says. And I, and I want to um, I want to say in no uncertain terms, we have zero aspiration to be a kumbaya movement, a meet in the middle, everyone calm down, don't be angry. I, I, it resonates with me and I think programmatically, and if this is, I, you know, this is, I think a marketing and a merchandising and a branding problem perhaps starts with us has, or the bridge building has uh, field has more broadly, um, is that it somehow seeks to blunt people's convictions. And mm. I can only speak for starts with us. We have a fundamental belief that the diversity of our ideas and that in the hot sort of forgery of, you know, disagreement from that comes a, a such a unique form of American innovation, um, we would never want to lose that. Uh, we some divides are, divides are necessary for us to be at our best. I, that that resonates with me one hundred percent. What we seek to do is enable the most respective and compassionate and constructive cooperation and collaboration across those divides. And but and we do have to think about in what scenarios that doesn't work for us as mm. individuals. Yeah. So, and let's, let's take it all the way, you know, all the way there. So, because when I tell people about starts with us, people like to, to, you know, sort of stress test it with the most extreme counterexamples. And they say, well, what about a Nazi? I got to sit at a table with a Nazi and talk to that Nazi. Or what about somebody using the KKK? And th I understand why that is one, because you want to, well, what's your approach there? Because right. it's, and I'll, t I, I'll say a couple things about that. One is, the image of a truly irredeemable, pure villain allows us something that's very comforting, which is moral clarity. So true. Uh, there's there's these people, and it sounds like, and uh, Russ is not here for for us to have this conversation. I'd love to have it with him, but I'll, you know, if uh, he can he can, uh, you know, uh, yell at me if I'm if I'm doing. I'll a send him this. You and send we'll him see. this. Yeah, yeah. We'll do a cross streams yes. like thing. But I don't want a straw man like his his position or his arguments. But having listened to the pod. Um, you know, I think that it's rare when, when he talks about his parents as overt racists, that signals a thing in my mind where it's like, oh whew, man, I don't have to think about his dad at all, overt racist, evil. So discarded and he's gone. And listen, um, there are, even if there is, which I think starts with us takes as a starting point that there is no person who is not worth talking to and not everyone has to do that talking. Mm. So, you know, when, um, you know, a, a, a black colleague or teammate of ours says, well, you know, similar as KKK, I got to sit at the table with this person. The answer is, 
Of course not. Yeah, you know, the right. idea is not to put yourself in harm's way. The metaphor I like to use is one of sort of exercise, is that if we're stretching out of our comfort zones to practice the three C's with people across lines of difference, there most often is something to be gained in the same way that you go to the gym and, you know, you do the exercises that strengthen you at the level at which it's just the right amount or, you know, pushing the limits of your discomfort. But you absolutely can go try to lift way too much and hurt yourself. And we're not asking people to do that. And everyone's comfort zone and their capacity to do what we're um, suggesting is very personal, right? Like, I, I think that, um, you know, if, if you're me, who's a white presenting guy, who's in a position of power, like in a company and, you know, however I grew up, whatever my struggles were, they are going to look very different. And my comfort zone is going to be a different size and shape than, than yours, um, or than Sarah's who's sitting right here, or then, uh, trans black woman who lives in the American South or, you know, somebody, you know, uh, you know, Republican who lives in the middle of San Francisco. I mean, I mean silly, silly reductive examples, but no, everyone's yeah, yeah. comfort zone and their capacity to do it is different size and shape. So you might not want to go talk to that person on a given day, but if we were to take the idea that sitting with them and looking them in the eye can lead to something transformational, I might be able to on that day. And I think when That's we look huge. at the Ben Shapiro's that category of, you know, person who they occupy a cultural position and a position of power where starts with us is, you know, it's right there on the, on the tin, right? It starts with us. It's like, how do I show up in my day-to-day -day life with these values? And how does that ripple out into my proximal community, my interactions? And most often that's with people at the grocery store and the person who cuts me off on the road and, you know, um, my kids' teachers and my kids themselves. And like, these are, this is the, it sort of bubbles up in your own internal life and in your communities. So, um, assuming the complexity of somebody else and the humanity of somebody else, even in light of some, you know, terribly extreme position, um, is one of the very, very hardest, you know, things that starts with us as, you know, philosophy might ask of us and not everybody has to do it. it everybody can stand to get a little stronger. So you lift the weight. That's the right size for 100%. you. If we can all do it in our own way, we, our bet is that that ladders up into a cultural change that is really powerful. That's a huge point. What you just shared. I don't know that anyone's articulated it in conversation with me like that. The big point being not everybody has to do all of the work on any given day. No way. Right? Like, here's one recent example. So Lex Friedman, who's a podcaster, right? MIT, very smart, like ridiculously smart. Um, I think he's like my age and he a hundred times smarter than me, super put together, super articulate, very calm. The right. opposite of me. Like I can't do anything <laughs> calmly, calmly, not a thing. Yeah. Like literally if I'm drinking coffee, I'm, I just go bonkers. So excited about it. I'm excited about everything, right. whether the excitement is good or bad. And one of the podcasts after his very wrong and anti-Semitic, uh, outbursts online. One of the podcasts that Ye did was with Lex Friedman, which I thought was interesting, but it made sense, I think, in the long run. And so Lex sits down with Ye for two and a half hours. And one of the questions, have you listen, have you watched it or do you know? No. Okay. So very, I, I'm really excited about listening to Lex more because I think I have a lot to learn from Lex. 
literally, he asks Ye, like, do you have people in your life that can call you on your bullshit? He says this to yeah. Kanye West, like, oh, yeah. like very passionate, very like blows up and gets mad and is so excited about everything. And, and of course, Ye said something like, you know, what's my bullshit? Like, yeah. and, and um, they had a back and forth, but it was so, right? Like Lex was the person, maybe the only person in the world on that day that could have done a two and a half hour interview with Kanye West. Then two weeks later, he sits down with Ben Shapiro for two and a half hours. And again, I'm listening to this conversation the other day while I'm working, I have it up on my screen over here. And I'm sitting there thinking, wait a second, Lex has gotten Ben Shapiro fast talking, sometimes racist, sometimes transphobic, like just out of this world, Ben Shapiro, right? Always big ideas, always yeah. big language. Yeah. Just because of his demeanor and his way of talking and asking questions, Lex has slowed Ben Shapiro down to be responding in very slow, deliberate. And again, Ben was, or Lex was asking Ben very pointed questions about how he incites harmful rhetoric sometimes on social media and why he says the things that he does, right? Mm -hmm. All that to say, as you're saying this a few seconds ago, I'm thinking Lex Friedman and right. these kinds of people. Um, we don't all have to be having these conversations. So there are probably certain topics, societal, cultural, political, that I can, even the worst of the worst of the other side, I could talk to today about that issue because it wouldn't, even though I believe strongly about it, I, I, I don't have maybe, maybe my friend hasn't been hurt by that thing or That's whatever right. it is, right? That's right. I'm, I'm a little, I'm a detached enough from it that I can have that conversation in a reasoned, slow, deliberate way. Where the outcome hopefully is some shared sense of humanity. Something. Even if you don't like each other. We don't like each other. I didn't move you a, a ton, but we, we connected somehow. But then on any, on some other issue, I, I can't even get near that conversation. Right. Right now, in my current state, maybe next month or next year, as I mature and change, develop. But right now, I need to stay away from those kinds of people talking about those kinds of things. I, I really like that. I think because then if, as this movement grows of not kumbaya bridge building, but real intentional, okay with anger sometimes, okay with division as long as we are getting somewhere, that kind of bridge building is as, the, as that team, quote unquote, team grows, the capacity there's grows. enough people Who to can, talk about all the things with all the people. Nailed it. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing here. And I'll say, um, <clears throat> even though it may, it may not be our approach, I don't think, and I'm going to say this, uh, this is sort of a personal belief. I don't know if this is sort of front and center in the starts with us ethos, although I, I think it may be. Yeah, I definitely think it is. What Russ believes, like, there's room in the world for harmony between the galvanizers and the negotiators and the agitators and the connectors. In other words, we need activists, activists to remind us of the urgency of challenges. I think, you know, starts with us as concerned about the practicalities of progress. Where do we find commonality, common ground? How do we move forward? But there are very many houses on fire here in the United States, and people should make noise about that. 
that's not um, incompatible with the idea that it just, I think it just creates and draws attention to different tables that we all got to sit down at and reckon with. You know, I think that if you- It's also a good point. If you look at, um, last thing I'll say, right? Like, how are you, however you voted uh, your listeners or, or, you know, us in this room in the last election, the odds of just statistically either 70-something million people or 80-something million people being dumb, idiot, sheep, evil, unthinking, wanting to destroy the country, wanting to destroy, just statistically is unlikely. I mean, all of them, even most of them. So you got to ask your question, why is there a market for what um, a Ben Shapiro does or any number of people are picking on Ben Shapiro and I'm, you know, too tired to like both sides that are all sides of right now, but we yeah. know that this exists yep. like in many, in many yep. pockets. It's not just a, it's not just a Shapiro thing. Um, why is there a market for this? And what underlying need does it point to? What underlying sort of um, void does it fill societally, com communally, individually, as we think about a world in which we've been digitally disintermediated over a long period of time and then had that accelerated X-fold by being separated by COVID and there's a loneliness ec epidemic and there's, you know, all this convergence of various sort of crises and revolutions in and around technology and climate and all this stuff. It's a wild time to be alive with all this seismic change. The easiest thing is to just look at a group of 80 million people and go and think of them obviously like, like stormtroopers. They all look, they all dress the same. So I yeah. can think they're all kind of the same and they're either unthinking minions at best or just doing evil on purpose at worst. People for the most part, sad as it is to challenge us with this, like the complexity are not like that. Are there fringes? Absolutely. What it starts with us, think about those like very radicalized fringes where there is some intention to, you know, dehumanize. We think that in, uh, that's not, it's frankly, we're not a, a movement or a program to de-radicalize people. We are trying to give uh, a banner and a voice and language and a home to the 87% that even if you're divided deeply by the issues, you're willing to do some of the work when and where you can. You're willing to stretch the boundaries to get that work done in your communities, even if it means sticking your neck out a little bit, again, in a way that strengthens your capacity and doesn't, you know, put you in some undue harm's way. And just to give that group of people, you know, a tribe for the tribeless, a voice for the voiceless is plenty of work uh, that, you know, uh, we could spend 24-7 on, and my team will say, yeah, we already do, Tom. We spend 24-7 doing this. It, you know, as opposed to going and trying to de-radicalize extremist groups. There are organizations that do that. There's enough happening here from the sort of, you know, more centrist folks and then kind of one sigma out, maybe the more skeptical folks on either end yep. of the ideological yep. divide. There's a lot of commonality here about the kind of future we want to build and the way in which we want to show up in our uh, personal lives and our professional lives and our civic lives there's so much progress to be made here that if we take as the underlying assumption that people are complex and that no one's not worth talking to and that we can share that burden as a movement of who's going to do the talking to have really transformative experiences, we can make a lot of progress. The last six years have been really hard, as we all know, If you, for those listening here in the United States anyway, yeah, all over the world. But we've experienced some, I don't know, some pretty crazy days um, some, yeah. lots of crazy ideas that have been shared and adhered to by so many people. But one thing you said is something that I've thought about quite a bit over the last few years is it would be very easy, be way easier 
just to lump all of these 80 million people into you're so stupid. Yeah. He got you. The bad they guys. got you. You're so how could you be so dumb to believe this, to adhere to this, to to go beyond believing it. You actually have a hat about it and you have a flag about it and you like put bumper stickers like that's wild. But that's not the case. It can't be the case. You're right. Like like if there are 80 million people that I truly believe are too far gone and really wild, then I have no business living in this country <laughs> because they're everywhere. Like these people, right? And so, okay, take a step back. So you're not crazy. You're not dumb. You're not stupid. Some of you are really, I mean, so many of you are generous. You're kind. If you're my neighbor, like you, when I get sick, you bring over food, like you're checking in on me. And, and, and I know this because I come from a very large family that I love. We all get along surprisingly miraculously well. I have two parents, 11 siblings. There's 12 kids. And I would say um, about seven of those 14 uh, voted a certain way six years ago. And most of them, if not all of them, voted the same way a couple years ago. Very surprisingly, I come from an immigrant family. My dad is came here as an undocumented immigrant when he was a kid. Yeah. And... Again, this is where the complexity comes in. This is where I can't just say you all are stupid and dumb and sheep because I know so many of you intimately and I love you. So you can't be that. Like I know you. I know what you do when times get tough. I know how generous you are. I know you'd give me the shirt off your fucking back if I needed it. And you have yeah. at certain points. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's an important, as, as you stated, I'm just, I'm kind of reaffirming the importance of, hey, if we're going to get any work done, yes, there are extremists. There are extremists. Unfortunately, the extremists are the loudest, yes. right? I think we just saw that in this past election. <clears throat> I want to I want to pick on... <laughs> How do I describe Carrie Lake in kind terms? Okay, so Carrie Lake, right? Extremist, conspiracy theorist. Loud. Still, loud, still to this day believes that the 2020 election was stolen, even though all of the people that are much smarter than her in this regard in Arizona said wasn't stolen. Everything was top notch. She runs on this platform and what happens? Not by a huge margin, but she loses. Arizona, bunch of white old people that have historically voted a certain way that you would think like, oh, they're going, they're going to go that way. They voted against that. They voted against the lunacy. They voted against the crazy rhetoric that says everybody's out to get you. You can't trust anything. You can't trust anyone. And our Lord and Savior, Donald Trump, like he, his election was stolen from him. I thought for sure she had it in the bag, just knowing what I know about past elections there and kind of how things have gone. Right. And even on election day, there was those, there was the <clears> problems <throat> with the machines. And I was like, here, they've got all the ammunition they need to point to this election. Like it's going to go the opposite way. And still Arizonans said, we're not going to stand for that. Right. It doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't hold up for us. And so they're the fringe radical ideas and they're the loudest, unfortunately, That's sometimes. Right. And so they seem like they're many more than they are. Yeah. But like you said, 87% tired of all the craziness, tired of all the political divisiveness. And we just want some normalcy back. Yeah. So 
the midterms were fascinating. Very. And I uh, am not a political analyst, so indulge me. I, I very humbly will uh, wade, wade into my interpretation of what happened. But it seems like the it seems like you know fringiness was on the ballot and lost. Yes. And, but, but I think the ways in which Trump offered hope to a large coalition of people who, like I, I mentioned, I imagine, you know, if people in your family or people, you know, that you know, people, you know, that maybe for some reason it was unexpected, obviously his um, public behavior and all these things, like, but a lot of people, a lot of people voted for this guy and believed in this guy. And we have to understand, and by the way, that's, that's, True. Uh, again, I, I want to. I don't say it to sort of both sides and hedge, hedge my bets. Votes for more and more extreme proposals, you know, and, and more and more sort of like this is a lot of this is built into our into the structure of our political systems. But I think if we take Trump and and, and certainly like that strain of election denialism, uh, you know, it seems like the market for that and the tide on that, at least as evidenced by a lot of these election losses that happened and the the red wave that wasn't. Um, something there seems to have subsided in a way that frankly gives me a lot of hope because Agreed. of fundamental distrust in the cell, like sowing that in the sense that, oh my God, like we're just going to not agree on anything. You know, it's like, you right. know, that, that right. obviously is, um, is very scary. What hasn't gone away though, you know, we're, we're talking about a symptom of something and it's easy to get angry at the symptom. It's either Trump, you know, and Trump did a lot of stuff, obviously incredibly divisive, um, incredibly reckless. Uh, but you can't discount the tens of millions of people who sought an alternative to business as usual in him and in a drastic change. Like, what does that mean? Like something hasn't gone away. Mm. And if you look at, you know, DeSantis, who is sort of, you know, if you if you trust the uh, a lot of the Murdoch papers, you know what I mean, the era parents, and that's a lot mm-hmm. of the analysis. Somebody still needs to speak to communities that yeah. feel unheard and left behind, or freaked out by the speed of social change, or somehow you know scared or you know encumbered by uh, you know more progressive line. like that, that. Like that's a that's a, a contingent in in this country of humans who are worthy of respect and dignity and support. Um, so while it's very heartening to see that some of the very most cynical tremors that echoed after sort of Trumpist republicanism seem to, in some ways, to have been stemmed, I think that as a country, we have to continue to think about to for whom was that it was some version of that at one point a solution and do those problems still remain? Yeah. Yeah. And I think they do. Yeah. So let's go back to some starts with us, uh, plan strategy yeah. here. Cause yeah. I think this is a good way for us to begin to land the plane. I could talk for forever about this stuff, but you know, you've mentioned the three C's a bit, curiosity, compassion, and courage. Also, uh, by, I want to talk about three other things right here in light of what you just said. By practicing the three C's every day, we actively create the outcomes in our personal communities that stem the trends of polarization, blind tribe, tribal loyalty, and dehumanization. And the three things here are connect, bridge, and repair. I think, I think that's how we, whether, whether it's for fine, we're finding politicians that do that work or if it's 
clergy and church groups, or if it's everyday people yeah. in their communities, I think it has a little bit to do because they're still, yeah, the, the problems have not been solved. The questions have not been answered. There's still a fundamental lack of, uh, I think part of it is lack of education. Um, I think part of it is real world things that have happened to people that they don't really know how to translate. Right. They don't know why they've happened to them. They don't really know what's happening. But then this godlike figure comes along and says, I've got the answer to all your problems. So they follow, right? And, but all in all, but now they're seeing, like you said, that some of this, some of this radical talk and these radical ideas, um, th they lost in this midterms. But the questions haven't been answered yet. It's not like these people are going to, they might not have voted for the Kerry Lakes and they might not have voted for the Mehmet Oz's and they might not have voted for no. pick your person. But the questions have not been answered, and we've still got a lot of work to do. We barely, it was not, a, there was not a red wave, but there really wasn't a blue wave either. And we, we, I say we, me, like in my belief system, but like we got the Senate. I don't think we'll get the House, whatever. But we've still, we've got some, we're at the table to talk with the other side. And so connect, bridge, repair. Does that work into what you're thinking in terms of the work that we have to do. Like, so we just finished 2022. We got 2024 coming. There's no break here. Yeah. There's no break here, Tom. Like, yeah. Someone just announced last evening they're going to run for president. So like it's already started. There's no like, okay, we're going to wait another year or a year. Isn't it, wait, isn't it in Canada? Many countries do this, but isn't it Canada where it's like you got four months? Isn't it something like that? You got three or four months to campaign. Yeah. So you can't do this two year, three yeah. thing. Here, literally we just finished one. Hard fought. Tons of donations, tons of canvassing, tons of phone banking. That one just, and actually, they're still not all counted. The house is still up for grabs. There are still races, and there's a runoff Senate that still hasn't been validated yet, right? And candidates are announcing and for, we 2024. Already for 2024. Yeah. So, no break, no rest for the weary. God mm. damn it. Um, so, yeah, this connect bridge repair, is that going to be a helpful framework for us in the next couple of years? Or, or where would you point us? Yeah. So, I would so the notion of con, like connecting with uh, like-minded individuals within you know call it the eighty percent it is eighty-seven percent starts with us movement um, bridging with folks who uh, maybe have a different perspective or haven't necessarily been ex exposed to that method of kind of communication which is meant to create space and to hold humanity and repairing relationships that otherwise have been damaged by all this divisiveness those are all outcomes that of course we want to see when people practice the three C's as daily habits. The thing about Starts With Us that I find really empowering is that when we look at the systemic challenges, never-ending um, campaigning cycles and um, media outlets that are incentivized in such a way, social media platforms that are incentivized in such a way, it all feels daunting and impossible and intractable and too big to... Which means that we at Starts With Us need to be we need to be thinking about the ways in which the three C's help people achieve their out uh, desired outcomes and affect their material conditions right away, irrespective, uh, irrespective of those systems and mm. eventually can affect those systems. But put another way, the value proposition, I would say, if I use a little, you know, corporate uh, jargon, the value prop for practicing the three C's every day is that you become, if you're truly like curious 
about the media you consume, about other people, you're compassionate towards them and hold space for them and uh, are able to stay at the table even when it's uncomfortable to hear different perspectives and you're courageous about cooperating with, with those people. You become a sharper thinker, a better collaborator, totally. a more effective negotiator, mm -hmm. uh, a more convincing communicator, um, and ultimately a, just a better solver of problems. And that affects your daily life. That makes you better at your job. That makes you more effective in your marriage and more effective as a parent to your kids, as a kid to your parents, more effective community member in your church or in your um, local community. And that that is a value that uh, affects that affects people's lives right away. I think if you try to draw the line from the three C's to shore up de democratic principles, it's like very highfalutin and like, all right, and, and that showed up in polling. I mean, to the extent that we can trust polling at all at this point, which is like, you know, how many elections in a row are we going to be, you know, uh, you know, sort of surprised. But, right. but a lot of polling show that like, yeah, people um, continue to care about the economy and inflation, people continue to care about crime, you know, continued uh, motivation around um, Dobbs and sort of galvanizing around that on the left. But it was like shoring up, like people, I think this was in one of the times, uh, Seneca polls, 70%, you know, I'll, I'll, let me paraphrase, but it was in the 70s, 70 plus percent of people saw democracy, democracy as under threat. Nobody had it as their main issue. Right. 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 So drawing a line from my daily actions to shoring up democracy or preventing political violence, you know, I believe practicing the three C's every day, especially if we build the movement the way we need to at scale, we'll do those things. But drawing that line for most people is very intangible. Um, it's it, what we want to do is, and I think what in a lot of ways like has borne out in the midterms is just being destructive and having a lot of grievances you know, the grievances may be valid, but destroying everything is not affecting my daily life. It's yeah. not affecting the outcomes right. I want. It's not putting food on the table. It's not bringing prices down. Um, we see the three C's as a methodology to effectively solve problems. When you know how to stay at the table, when you know how to, when you're willing to stay at a wildly divergent table in terms of perspectives and opinions, this doesn't always have to be like the most extreme example of like, okay, I got to sit across the table from yeah, fringe extremist and figure out how to talk to them. There's just, how do I solve problems with people who are different than me? People who communicate more brusquely than I do or, or not as directly as I do. People who are like, there's such a day-to-day -day value in practicing, practicing those three C's to solve problems. And the beauty of it is it's a thing you control, right? The systems over time, if we scale this movement the way we need to, and you know, we, we have tens of millions of people, that community then, that movement then has the juice to affect systems to hold politicians accountable to what is acceptable in campaign and political ads or campaign speech, to hold media systems accountable for what is safe and what's not, social media systems accountable. But every single day I control how I show up in the world, how I interact with people, um, and the way in which I show up has some effect on those people, whether it's going to be to further entrench them in a position because I judged them or because I, you know, tried to beat them over the head with um, something that I'm convinced is true, or whether I sat there and asked them a question and allowed them the dignity to believe something different than me, even if I'm so convinced that it's wrong or that their science is junk or that their opinion is um, unfounded or that there's a lack or they're not as educated as I am or in the same ways that I am. And I think you make room when you do that for different kinds of wisdom, for different kinds of ideas, for different kinds of perspectives, for different kinds of solutions. 
cooperating and collaborating across lines of difference leads to the best and most effective and most innovative solutions to problems and challenges. And that's a thing that everybody benefits from every day. We do it at scale. We can bring that vision uh, to our society and to our country. We don't have to do that on day one, but on day one, we control what we can control. We strive to live by these things. I fail all the time. I mess it up. You know, you know, it's, it's, uh, Mm. it's, it's just a, a, a thing that, you get back on the horse when you don't do it. And if you commit to it, we reset. We need to habituate a different kind of a social norm that isn't modeled after social media. That's what's happened is that our actual way of interacting in most forms of life have become dominated by the dynamics of social media or of digital media interactions or of sort of cable news analysis and all these things because we're so media addicted and media poisoned in so many ways. So a a long answer to a short question, but the three C's, are a pathway to immediately controllable realization of your own potential and the discovery of solutions in your own life. And we keep bringing people into that. That will ripple outwards into a scaled effect on our society and on our country. Amazing. I don't have anything to add to that monologue. That was really helpful. Curiosity, compassion, courage. As we begin to wrap up, I know I already said that once, I want to talk briefly about these founding partners because I, I think it was I think it's very interesting. I look at that list. People can go to the website. Look, it starts with us. This list of founding partners, they are all over the place, right? It's not. It's very clear, and, and it makes it, it's not a surprise either for the kind of organization that you're building. Yeah. But it's very clear that these people are all over the place. Uh, both their chosen career paths, their political persuasions. It is all kinds of people and, you know, uh, a few that, as I just looked through a few that I, uh, either have engaged with really like read their books, whatever, uh, Alan Alda, chef Jose Andres, Arthur Brooks, Barbara Corcoran, Ryan holiday, Mark Cuban, Adam Grant, Alice Marie Johnson, who, you know, got a pardon from Donald Trump, uh, Bernice King, Daniel Lubetsky, of course, my good friend, Jackie Lewis. Hmm. These are people again, that are you know, just in that list that I mentioned, you've got everything from like realtors to writers, uh, billionaire sports team owners, uh, deep, deep thinkers like Adam Grant, uh, Bernice King, obviously daughter of Dr. King, um, Jackie Lewis, very progressive leftist preacher from here in, in, in New York and all over the place. So that's how yeah, what was the as you put those asks out and said, "Hey, here's what we're doing. Would you want to be part of it?" I'm sure it was some version of that. What was the thinking in those people and with even the people that I mentioned, which are all across the board, that some of them I would guess, I mean, knowing what I know about Jackie, she probably just had some questions to look through and think through like, is this one of those like cuz she's a she's a fierce she's a fierce woman a fierce, fierce advocate, love. fierce love, fierce advocate for justice, doesn't yeah. put up with anyone's bullshit, like very strong. And so I'm sure in her mind, and I'm not speaking for her, but just what I know about her, it was like, hey, I want to make sure that this is an organization that truly cares about, you know, justice and doing the right yeah. thing. and engage. So yeah, what was the thinking <clears throat> even in just building this initial founding partners team? Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mentioned the our belief that a diversity of ideas and perspectives will lead to the most innovative solutions. And we try to build that into our founding partner group. And a lot of those, you know, they of course are primary, primarily public figures, 
who, you know, bring visibility sure. and, uh, and a sense of influence, um, you know, and, um, just an incredible, yeah, an incredible sense of, of visibility to what we're doing, which, um, which we love and we need if we want to scale a movement. I'm also really happy and excited to say that we don't, you know, and they generally don't require ideological purity of us or each other. Yeah. We disagree on some things. There yeah. are ways in which I'm sure our, um, you know, our, our philosophy and the tenets, you yeah. know, yeah. aren't a full overlap with Jackie's, um, with, with the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis's. Yeah. And, but we continue, we make videos with Jackie. We continue to find those areas where we do overlap so we can advance a common cause and common mission. And that is the same all around. We meet with our founding partners. They kick our asses on ways they think we can get better or ways sure. that they um, believe that we can improve, ways that we need to step up. And that's a thing that if we want to accomplish what we need to accomplish, I, I don't see how we do it kind of one brick at a time and patting ourselves on the back every day. It's like we need the, the furnace of a new kind of a think tank. Um, and that, you know, I think that having our public figures forward does something for us, but we also do get that from our own audience. Like we get that from our community, from everyday average Americans who live the day-to-day -day American life and the complexity um, of their beliefs. And the, you know, one of the things I'm the very most proud of, in, you know, ha having um, been here for, you know, been leading starts with us for a year now is our common threads. Mm, you know, they sure. continue to become areas where respectful disagreement is almost self-policing and we are active in yeah. those comment threads, yeah. but that's a comment threads on the internet. I don't know if you know this, Nick, it can get a little hairy in there. I've seen, <laughs> I've noticed. Right. And we continue to like, uh, to me, those are the areas. So I would say, you that's know, that's a testament to how you're presenting these ideas. Th it's a combination of the presentation of the ideas, very active and, you know, um, uh, nuanced community management from some great folks on our team. Um, so I think that they balance out a picture of the, the public figures who make up our founding partner and movement partner list, who, you know, we have several councils now amongst that list who help inform our work as we think about the ways in which starts with us in the three C's extend into sports and entertainment, into faith-led organizations, into um, media, into, you know, all, you know, there, there's there are so many ways in which we uh, are lucky to rely on them for both visibility and for input and to challenge us and to make us better. It doesn't mean we take every piece of feedback and it also doesn't mean they necessarily agree 100% with every single thing we do. That level of nuance of not needing, you know, to be a one-to-one -one match on ideology, it's it's our ethos in action. Um, so yeah, that so that they're uh, we're, we're we're very very lucky to have a group that looks the way it does. It started out, you know, early on with some of Daniel's incredible network, but since then has really grown uh, of its own accord and with the support of an incredible um, partnerships team who really works to make partnering with starts with us feel unique. Like we want our partners to feel like the time they spend with us and on this challenge is the most rewarding thing that they do in a given week. And that's, you know, a, a very ambitious, especially given some of the partners that you mentioned, but that's what we, that's what we seek to do. We want them to feel like it's what we're doing is really different and that their incredibly valuable time and brain power is going into something that has the upside to be world changing and may just be crazy enough to work. Because where we've been is not working, and I think that um, we're uh, it's a um, it's a really exciting journey actually to try something that um, that feels almost radical in its uh, in its in its expression. Beautiful. Last question. 
a self-care question. This is about you. Forget, yeah. forget starts with us for a second. Yeah. Well, not forget starts with us because it is a part of who you are and what you do. This is a, this is big work that you're yeah. doing. Uh, how do you, what are your top three ways to take care of yourself that bleed into your work? Things that you do that refresh you, that recharge you, that make you better at what you do at work and not at work, but at work. Yeah. That's such a good question. Um, I really enjoy music and playing music. I'm a guitar player and conversing with people in that language and sort of the musical language. It's interesting because the, a lot of these frameworks that we use to kind of you know, box each other in and define each other ideologically or, you know, other, otherwise. A lot of that takes a backseat in a musical scenario. You know what I mean? You sort of are connecting yep. on a different level. Oh, and yeah. that, that to me feels um, always so positive and uh, really energizing. Yeah, I mentioned I, I've, um, you know, a, a, a family now that is like we just had our third kid this year. So we have a, a little a little nugget at home. It's just not that little anymore. Nine months old, our, our baby. So, um, I, I will say actually, you know, the work in a lot of ways has become the self-care. So in my previous role mm, sure. at this company Echo, which I which I love, we were, you know, work working our uh working our butts off, thinking about interactive video and the intersection with storytelling and e-commerce and all these really cool, interesting problems in, in media and tech and commerce. Um but I found that all of my energy and concern and desire to be active would then get crunched into the after hours of work because I'm so focused at work. And then that's impinging on family time. And in a lot of ways, dedica dedicating uh, myself and most of my, you know, sort of daily hours to starts with us is a place now that I can put that energy. It's a heat sink for the concern and for a lot of the things that I like to do creatively and, and otherwise. So the work, um, is the outlet for, 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 for the, for that in a lot of way. And it allows me then, you know, in the couple hours at, at, night, you know what I mean? When the family's all together before the kids are in bed, we get to, I don't feel like, you know, I feel like, man, I just spent the last like 12 hours, like thinking about this stuff as hard as I possibly could. I can take a little break here and be with my family because Makes we'll sense. be back at it tomorrow. Um, so the, you know, uh, there's us two of them, music, family, and, um, I like Wordle. Yeah. You, <laughs> you and my wife and my brother alike. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I'd say uh, I made it about, yeah. I made it about 12 wordles in. Not for you. And just, but, but my, my wife and my brother and I think her parents, there's like eight people that are on a text thread every single day. They do their wordle, screenshot it, put it in the thread. And it's like 400 in, right? It's like over 400 wordles now at this point. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And they just keep going. How and many I, five letter words are there? I, I don't yeah. know. It, I, it, it, I lost interest yeah. 12 in and I'll never go back. Yeah. Uh, I'm one of those that like, if I start losing interest, like I'm not going to spend one moment more on something that I don't want to be doing. And so I, I just quit. Wish I had that but discipline. They, but they, but they love it. And I'm, yeah. glad, I'm glad you do too. It seems very therapeutic. It seems fun. I love puzzles, Yeah, but I just didn't connect with that very much. I hear that. You know what? Last thing I'd say is, uh, to, as I'm thinking about self-care, um, as much as I love Wordle, it's not your yeah. thing. We've connected across that line of difference. Fair enough. We yes. did it. Yes, we did. We did. Um, <laughs> is uh, guys like just go outside? Like, yes. I, I think that um, uh, and and people like get 
getting out into the world and breathing. It sounds I, I you know, it's just like a like an old man, like Grandpa Simpson, like speech here of like shaking my head. Kids don't go outside anymore. Every moment I just am able to like disconnect and get out into the world, even for the mundane things of like going and like shopping in person and going to hang out with some of my neighbors. I mentioned to you before we started, I just moved to um, relocated, you know, our family's in Michigan now, so we're meeting all kinds of new people. And it just emphasizes like the utter complexity and beauty of humanity every yeah. single day. It's just, there's no replacement for seeing it in person. And, you know, we're, we're not putting the digital genie back in the bottle, nor should we. I think it's unlocked just incredible value and incredible upside, but also with that has come, you know, we're in these early phases where we don't know what the Surgeon General's warnings are supposed to say yet on digital and social, and we will, and we will soon. But as an antidote to that, you know, keep it in its place in your life and just get the heck outside when you can. Um, it's, uh, um, yeah, just the the, human, the fundamental humanity of of everyone you run into, whatever whatever you believe or not, it's impossible not to be inspired by it and be be hopeful from it. Couldn't agree more, Tom Fishman. I learned a lot. I really did. Thank you for uh, sharing your story, and the story of starts with us, or some of it. I'm sure there's a lot more we could talk about. Um, but thank you for sharing your wisdom, and we are better off because of it. And I hope that many of the listeners will join on socials and in the conversations and otherwise uh what's happening it starts with us i hope let's give a damn can partner with starts with us more because we need love that. we need starts with us to yeah. help us as we continue to mature and grow as well and have different kinds of conversations engage big ideas that can be very polarizing and yeah uh we need the help as well um so thank you so much this was fun yeah nick thank you so much for the time and and uh, maybe, maybe most importantly, thank you for the challenges. You know, I think that um, we are we are figuring something out together here in real time. We're so excited by the early traction, but there's always a ton to learn. So, um, to you, to your listeners, to the to the existing start to this community, keep challenging us, keep poking holes, keep helping us figure out how to make it better and more applicable to you and in your daily lives. I'm so pumped about what we're building and would love to figure out how we uh, we get to hang more. Amazing. Thanks. Friends, thank you so much for showing up and for spending some time with Tom and me this week. I don't take it for granted that you pressed play, that you listened, and that you got to this point in the conversation. So thank you so much. To find links for everything mentioned in today's conversation and to keep up with all things Let's Give a Damn, visit letsgiveadam.com. Please share this episode with a friend or two. Please consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And please, most importantly, show up next week. We have many more incredible conversations coming your way. Chad Snavely, Jess Collins-Harn, and the incredible team at Sound On Studios made this episode. The music is by our friend Propaganda. You can reach out anytime and for any reason at hello at letsgiveadam.com. I love you all. Be safe. Keep giving a damn. Bye for now.